Previously on Hound Radio's Arch Campbell podcast. My response after watching the commercials of the Super Bowl is, if you have any cryptocurrency, sell it now. (laughs) The Arch Campbell podcast featuring Arch, Lou Katz, and a cast of thousands begins now. Love it. That was critic Nell Minow from last week's episode. Arch. Hi, everybody, and here we are with yet another chance to catch up on the ever-changing world of entertainment. Lou Katz is in the Katz podcast control room. (laughs) (laughs) And dusting off everything here. (laughs) Cleaning up. Which means we're ready to go. (laughs) You bet. And today, it's a great pleasure to welcome back two of my favorite writers from Vulture and New York Magazine. First, our longtime friend and partner, Jen Cheney. Hello, Jen. Hey, Jen. Hello, great to be here. And Jen has a professional-grade microphone now, so I'm going to have to up the uh, content here. <laughs> and joining Jen at Vulture on today's show, Rocky Haddadi. Hey, Rocky. Another great writer. Hey, guys. Hello. I'm still and in so, headset land. I'm not professional uh, like Jen. I'm still Well, just... I don't even have a headset on, and that's not professional for me. So. Uh, it's fine. <laughs> we, All together, we formed <laughs> yes. something good. You are podcaster. my yes. two favorite professionals. So let's jump in and say, uh, what are you watching? Who wants to go first? Who's excited? Mm. <laughs> for excitement might be pushing it. Yeah. Well, no, I, th- I think there's a show that Jen and I are both very excited about that we both mm-hmm. liked. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Go All right. Ahead. I'll go. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, I think that we have both really enjoyed Severance, which premiered Good. on Apple TV this past Friday. Um, it is directed mostly by Ben Stiller and it stars Adam Scott. And um, I feel like they've sort of given away the twist in the marketing. So like, let's get into it. It is about a company that has created a surgical procedure that divides your work self and your outside of work self so that your consciousness is sort of divided. I give consent to sever my memories between my work life and my personal life. I acknowledge that once the procedure is complete, I will be unable to access my personal memories whilst on the severed floors. And it is a very sort of creepy, slow burn thriller series that I've enjoyed very much. So it premiered with two episodes. And then I believe that there are like seven weeks to go. So it does sort of unfurl the narrative and kind of take you into this place of what would the ramifications actually be of a version of you that doesn't remember its own life outside of a specific place. Um, And I enjoyed it very much. And I think Jen enjoyed it as well. I did. Rocky wrote a really great review of it. Um, Thank you, Jen. And I, like she did, I watched the whole thing. So I know how the whole season goes. Um, And it's, there's also this element of mystery in terms of like, what does this company actually do? Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, there's so many shows coming out right now about like workplace, corporate America, startups. And even though this one is the most divorced from reality, I feel like it's the most reflective of a lot of things that are going on um, with just being employed at this point, most pointedly based on that premise, like the whole idea of work-life balance and what does that mean? But I also just want to say the whole cast is really fantastic. Um, Rocky mentioned Adam Scott, um, Patricia Arquette is in this, who worked with Ben Stiller before. 
on Escape at Dannemora. And there's a whole storyline that involves characters um, played by John Turturro and Christopher Walken that is really <laughs> very moving and interesting. So yeah, it's, it's one of the best things I've seen so far this year. Let me jump in here and just say, I'm so glad you started with this because first of all, I read Rocky's review and loved it. And so then I watched the first two episodes. I'm totally creeped out. Uh, I love <laughs> I love the chilliness with which they show the lives. Uh, and and of course, I, I suppose it's a metaphor for signing a non-disclosure agreement. Mm-hmm. That's true. <laughs> Except this time they plant it in your brain. And the scenes between Christopher Walken and John Turturro are just delightful, so delightful that I can't wait to watch the rest of them. But I'm I'm jealous that you've seen it all. I mean, I I have enjoyed that I've seen it all, but now I just want more. So it's a torture of my own making. Well, now that brings, that's my question. Is this going to be one of these things where I slog through for eight weeks and then uh, they tease me and I got to wait till next year is is this never going to be that's resolved? Television art. <laughs> I mean, that's storytelling works. <laughs> I don't think it was ever intended to be a mini series. Like uh-huh. I, I don't get that vibe. So I think it's sort of like, and I'm not sure how much we talked about Yellow Jackets here, but I think it's, you know, it is setting up a story to be told over a certain amount of time. I think you get a good amount of answers on certain things, and then I think it also leaves open the door for additional weird places for this to go but arch a slog we would never recommend a slog to you <laughs> well shows great oh no i'm i'm in i'm in i'm there i just Good. you know i don't want it to break my heart like some of these other shows do i don't think so and i think apple tv it seems like they have given additional season orders to pretty much everything i think the yeah. only show that didn't get one was mr corman the joseph gordon levitt like comedy sort mm. of thing so I, I, I think we can pretty much guess that there will be a second season if it hasn't already been approved. And who's I, that I think, writer? Is it Philip uh, Y. Dick? Philip K. Dick, yes. It's Philip very K. similar Dick. to one of his short stories. But Jen, what were Wrote, you going to say? Uh, uh, I just, Blade I have Runner. the impression that there is going to be a second season. I just don't think it's been officially announced yet. Yeah. And yeah, Archie wrote like Blade Runner and he wrote this yeah. short story in 1953 called Paycheck, which has a very similar setup to this in that a man wakes up, has no idea where he is, and learns that he spent two years doing a job and willingly agreed to have his memory wiped after the job. Um, So it is very similar in that sense of, and these are questions I think that sci-fi has been grappling with for a long time. Like the yeah, division it's just between... interesting to me that they posed this one 70 years ago. Yeah. And here I, we are. Yeah. I mean, I think Philip K. Dick was very prescient in that way, which is strange, but I've really enjoyed Severance. I would absolutely recommend. So uh, any thoughts on the Gilded Age? Are you all still I haven't, the I haven't Age? kept going. I don't know if Jen has. Jen. Um, no, I watched the first one <laughs> and I need to catch up with it because I, I, I'm hearing some people really like it. New York is a collection of villages. The old have been in charge since before the revolution until the new people invaded. Well, I'm new. I've only just arrived. You are my niece, and you belong to old New York. I just was terribly bored by the first episode, and I just haven't had the bandwidth to go I just, I find myself uh, having to watch it week after week, and it's so light and so silly, 
and yet I, you know it's like eating potato chips it's it's like eating peanuts i'm i'm kind of there and i really don't know why but but i am so That's there literally my entire existence <laughs> i'm here and i don't know why <laughs> So uh, award season is coming, and uh, this weekend we have the Producers Guild Awards and the Screen Actors Guild. And uh, any thoughts, uh, any predictions, any, any, anything, anyone, anyone? <laughs> you know, I, I awards. usually a big maybe proponents, not the right word, but I'm usually really interested in award season and engaged uh -huh. by it. And I could not possibly care less. Exactly. About it. Exactly. And if I don't care, there's no way anybody else cares because I care about the Oscars a lot more than the average person. <laughs> exactly. I, I, yes, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't love the announcement that they just made about shifting some, that the Oscars just made about shifting some of the categories to not be live. I just think it feels like a very weird year in terms of there's some movies that were nominated that I really just don't like at all. <laughs> and some that I'm like, yeah, if that wins, that's fine. It doesn't feel like there's anything I'm super passionate about this year. I, I mean, there are some movies that snuck in that I'm like, that's cool. Like Nightmare Alley snuck in good for it <laughs> i mean i think my fear is just i don't want something like don't look up to win best picture i think that's where i am i'm hoping for things not to happen rather than i'm hoping for things to happen so is there a favorite i guess i i guess the power of the dog i think uh, power of the dog is the favorite and i do i did enjoy that film very much so yes if it wins a bunch of things that's fine um but i don't know jen do you have like a theory on how things are going to go I mean, well, I, I do really hope that Gene Campion wins Best Director. Agreed. Um, that's just well-deserved, not only for that film in particular, but just her whole body of work at this point. But, you know, I had a theory at one point that it would be a big, like, West Side Story night just because in a year where people haven't been going to the movies, and that just feels like such a, you know, harkening back to, like, an older film, but done in this really um, fresh way. But I'm not getting the sense that there's a lot of, you know, huge support for it so yeah. I, I really have no idea i mean i'm just assuming power of the dog simply because it got the most nominations but uh i have absolutely no idea what's going to win i yeah. always get feedback on coda how much people mm -hmm. like coda and uh and i was upset that that young actress didn't get uh, an oscar nomination emily jones is that her name amelia jones emily jones uh, she deserved a she deserves me to know her name at the tip of my <laughs> tongue. <laughs> she deserved an Oscar nomination, didn't get it. The movie that I just found pleasurable was Nightmare Alley. In fact, mm -hmm. I watched it a couple, when it came on uh, HBO Max, I watched it again. Gina left the room, but <laughs> <laughs> as usual. Bradley Cooper couldn't keep her there. <laughs> nah, too weird for her. Uh, but, I think, so, but I think that's what surprised me. Like it is sometimes when the Oscars recognize Guillermo del Toro, I'm like <laughs> happy about it, but I'm like, that's so much weirder than I would think that the Oscars would normally go. Whereas like a film like The Green Knight, which I loved deeply and was also weird, 
does not ever seem like something the Oscars would consider. So it's just interesting how some of these choices play out each year. But I agree with Jen. I guess I would be most passionate about Campion winning because I think she would be the only woman to do it. No. Yes? No. no. She hasn't won before. Right. Yeah. It's Bigelow. Yeah. So she would be, I think she's the only woman to be nominated twice for best director, mm-hmm. which is also incredibly depressing. So yes, it is. Yeah. Give it to Jane. Oh. <laughs> uh, I want to mention, uh, it kind of caught my attention that the Olympics this year, which NBC pays billions to uh, broadcast, uh, got very poor ratings. And of mm-hmm. course, content wise, they're the worst Olympics in since 1936. I mean, they're just any thoughts on uh, why we weren't all glued to the TV set to watch the skiers or the skaters or. Hmm. I mean, certainly the fact there was a, the political aspect of this that, you know, having the games in China and and the human rights violations that are going on there with the Uyghur community, um, which was highlighted in the opening ceremony by by the NBC commentators. Uh, I think that may have, there may be some people that just felt like I don't want to support this in general. I haven't looked at what the ratings are like over time between winter versus summer, but I feel to me, it's like, I had an argument with a friend about this recently who who loves the winter games and thinks they're superior to the summer, which I think is insane. I don't (laughs) understand it. There's so many more events in summer and there's so much more variety. And I'm like, anyway, separate conversation. Your friend likes curling. (laughs) <laughs> no, he just, he really, he closely follows the skiing and mm-hmm. um, even like competitions outside the Olympics. He was the one person in America who was like watching everything. Um, all the ratings are because of my one friend. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I also, think the because... figure is 10 million that watched. And that used to be, you know, uh, an average night for a sitcom. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. But isn't this sort uh, of I also think because the, oh sorry, Rocky, go ahead. No, please, please, please. If I'm if I'm not, my brain is fried with trying to remember things about the pandemic, but I feel like weren't the summer the summer Olympics were postponed. So that's the other thing is that we had the summer and the winter like right on top of each other. And we obviously that's not normally the case. And so I just wonder if people were like, Oh, we're having an Olympics again and like they just weren't really paying attention to it. I don't know. But go ahead. I think there's a lot of that. And I also just think, and this might be too cynical, but I wonder, like, does the environment of right now really feel like everybody would be coming together and like supporting American athletes? Like that's sort of bleak, but it doesn't feel like a very collectivist time right now in terms of national spirit. So I also just wonder if like people weren't up for that sort of entertainment this time around i didn't watch a minute of it which is probably no i just i never felt like that compelled and i normally am very down with like professional sports like Mm -hmm. you know i'm fine but there's just something about it i just could not bring myself to watch any of it this year and it's interesting isn't 10 million like about how many people watch the oscars now (laughs) so it's also well yeah i think it's just yeah entertainment interests and I think if you have a million other things to watch except for the Olympics there's so many other choices and I agree with you Jen it feels like the other ones just happened so I just mm-hmm. it, it's like a weird vortex in time 
where and people- also the Americans did okay, but they didn't do great. And I think one of the big stories early on was supposed to be Michaela Schifrin and she yeah. geed out in her first two events, which was very, very sad. Um, yeah. And so whatever excitement that might've generated to get people hooked in, like that didn't really w work out just because of circumstances. Mm -hmm. um, obviously Nathan Chen did beautifully, but like, I don't know, people just didn't seem to care that much. Mm -hmm. The only thing people seem to remember is the uh, harassment uh, and torture of that poor uh, Russian skater, that 15-year-old. Right. I mean, that's the one thing people will remember from this. Yeah. So, yeah. but I, it got my attention because uh, all of the big things, so many big things are no longer grabbing an, a, a big audience, like Rocky was saying, and specifically the Oscars. Uh, where are we with the Oscars this year? We kind of touched on that. I just, I'm so tired of them trying to like experiment. I mean, they've been doing this for, it, it feels like my whole life, but I know it hasn't been um, yeah. at least a decade plus of like, yes. let's try this wacky thing. That, that'll turn everything around. And it's like, no, <laughs> just play to your constituency who actually cares about this and wants to see the awards. And don't try to get people who don't care about movies to like mm -hmm. care about this because they're just not going to. Like, it's just not going to happen. Stop trying to make fetch happen, Oscars. It's not going to happen. And I, I just, I think they can't, they still think they're going to get the ratings back somehow. And I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. It feels very uh, like our current political moment where I'm like, why don't you just cater to the people who like actually care about this and sort of try mm -hmm. and like get a swing viewer. But yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't want to watch like a bunch of, skits or uncomfortable oh, God. stand up <laughs> like I just you know what like have like a have like a A-list celebrity host the Oscars and let's just like keep it moving. I really wanted it to be Channing Tatum, but my wish was not granted. Mm. So let's just, you know, just keep it brisk and keep it like sort of fun. I don't need all of these interludes. I also think it's sort of strange and I don't know, but like Sometimes it feels like the Oscars is at odds with itself when the host is like very self-deprecating. And a lot of that is left over from like Ricky Gervais. But a lot of it is like, oh yeah, aren't we all terrible and rich and look at us patting ourselves on the back. And like, I don't need that tone either. Like we're watching it because we love the movies and we want to see the awards. And I don't need this whole like performative, can you believe we're doing this? Yes, I can believe it. Like, can we just get on with the awards? <laughs> Did you ever go out there, Jen? Did you ever go out and cover the Oscars? Weren't you yeah. out there one year? Yeah, I, I went um, three times. Is it wild, I, Jen? Like, can you even describe like what it's like? It is a little bit wild. I mean, I have never been in the in the um, actual like auditorium for the ceremony. I've always been in the press room, but being on the red carpet is is kind of a wild experience. Uh, I mean, it's exciting. It always reminded me of a dictatorship. <laughs> and one year I was out there and they were saying, you cannot take any cell phone pictures on the red carpet. And some yeah. uh, young woman was from some uh, outlet and she pulled out her cell phone and suddenly the goons come over, yank her off the red carpet and throw wow. her out. Oh and, God. you know, it's it just it's all it reminded me of 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 Putin and Russia and just a <laughs> bunch of clueless I I never had a good time at the Oscars. I always felt constrained mm -hmm. on the red I, I never carpet. had that issue with phones. Um, maybe by the time I was doing it, like they 
had just given up because it was going to be impossible to police everybody mm -hmm. with phones because we all had to be using our phones to communicate with our editors and things like that. I mean, you definitely like there's like well, this there you are. I mean, they were three steps behind, not realizing people needed their phones mm -hmm. and and that phones, you know, phones became cameras, became video I, cameras. I mean, the best the best time I had covering that was the first year, which set me up for failure just because it's I thought right. it would always be that great. And it wasn't uh -huh. Uh -huh. Um, because I got a spot with New York Times and EW and Mark Malkin, who was still working for E at that point. And we all, the four of us worked together to get people to come over for some reason. Mm -hmm. All four of us, mind you, including the New York Times, started yelling Washington Post to get George Clooney to come <laughs> over. <and work. laughs> I love that. That's great. <laughs> So that was pretty, that was a good year um, and probably the only good year. <laughs> I, I loved being in the press room inside uh, the facility, particularly before they moved to the Kodak. But when you were in the press room, you didn't get to see the show because uh, winners would come back. And so suddenly you were in it and then out of it. So I don't know. I, I just, I always got that, that push pull with the Oscar uh people that uh, they hated the press and they wanted the press and maybe they hated TV more than they hated print. Oh, I, I found that to be the opposite. I mean, depending on who, like they were steering people to, you know, Ryan Seacrest and uh -huh. Mario Lopez, you know, oh, like, Mario Lopez. Yeah. It's, it's a... so great to get uh, <laughs> scooped by AC Slater on the red yeah. carpet. Oh, <laughs> God. <laughs> But I mean, like, I'll be honest, I'm going to watch, you know, like, I'm going to watch because I, I want to watch it. So I just, it's frustrating to see something like as awesome as film editing be like shuffled off the I mean, it's portion. Not the irony of that. Let's edit out editing. Like, yes. what are you doing? <laughs> yes. Hundred, hundred percent. Yes. Yes. Well, uh, we'll leave the Oscars be. I hope that those changes mean that it's not going to run all night. And that maybe it will be a three-hour show over at eleven o'clock, which I think yeah, good, good luck, they Arch. should. Have. Arch, I think come on. I think it's going <laughs> to yeah. be over one a.m. Brace that yeah. years ago. Well, and what are they going to? So I'm sure if they're editing in those eight categories, then they're probably just editing out like people's walk. How much time are you saving with that? Maybe five minutes. Come on. Uh, well. Okay, we'll see what the Oscars do. Uh, new movies, uh, Cyrano opens this week, a musical version of Cyrano starring Peter Dinklage. Have you ever wanted something so badly you cannot breathe? Have you ever loved someone Anybody have any, uh, <laughs> is it virus worthy? I have not seen it and I have you no strong it? thought aside from the fact that like Joe Wright's Anna Karenina is undervalued. Those are my thoughts on Cyrano. <laughs> <laughs> Jen, you haven't seen it? No, I have thoughts about Studio 666, the Foo Fighters horror movie that's coming oh, out. Oh, I want to hear these thoughts. Oh, well, let's go there. Got a couple of ideas I've been working on. i lay them on you. called Everlong and you wrote it about 20 years ago. How are you feeling? Everything okay? Ever since we moved into this house, my mind is flooded. 
We all have writer's block. This is not just a creepy rock and roll house. I have no idea. I'm assuming like <laughs> Dave Grohl just got bored during quarantine and was like, hey, let's make a horror movie. Because there's, at the end of the movie, I was just like, why did this happen? Why did, why did they do this? Um, because it's not, it's not particularly funny and it's kind of like B-movie gory, but it's not really scary either. So I just don't even understand the point of it. But what I will say is that Pat Smear delivers an acting performance where he has the same expression on his face in every scene. But when he has to scream, he really brings it with screaming. Um, <laughs> but as you might expect, the, the best actor in the band is Dave Grohl. Like he's just sort of, he's always been good at that kind of thing, but it's just, I can't, I don't understand why it exists. I have no idea. Are we Does getting have... more stuff because of the streaming universe? Is that it? Yeah, it's a theatrical somewhere. release. Yeah, but I mean, it'll land somewhere eventually. Right. Jen, does I, I it don't... feel like an extended music video? Like, I'm trying to figure out what would be the motivation for this. It feels like a, a condensed season of American Horror Stories starring the Foo Fighters. That's what I would uh... say. Except, like, less sophisticated. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Um, if you're reviewing this, I hope all of these lines are in the room. <laughs> I don't know if I'm reviewing it. They, they know I saw it, but so far no one's been like, do you want to write about it? Because I, I don't even know if anyone cares, but we'll see. Yeah, I mean, touche. Who is really asking for a Foo Fighters horror movie? I mean, I guess fans of Foo Fighters. I mean, who am I? I mean, I thought, it was, I thought it would be kind of funny, like, yeah. but it's not. Oh. Like, it could have been. So it's not even a horror comedy. I mean, it kind of is, but it's actually, it's, but it's not funny. Uh, is the problem <laughs> there that's a great review yeah that's excellent i hope that it gets a physical media release and that we just pull quote everything that jen has said during this podcast <laughs> i got a screener of cyrano and watched it and i wish i could tell you that i'm excited and i just i just don't feel anything <laughs> oh uh. <laughs> again every day for me yeah. I wish I could tell you I'm excited, but I don't feel anything. Yeah, I don't feel anything. I feel like people who love Cyrano really seemed to love it, though. Like, uh -huh. I've seen a lot of people who have championed it over the course of this awards season. It definitely feels like it just got dumped in theaters on a very random weekend after. A, a comment from Roxanne, I might add. <laughs> yeah, I just, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, <laughs> I, don't I, know I like Steve Martin's there. version better. Mm -hmm. Speaking of liking things, I'm a big fan of The Worst Person in the World. Yeah. That's my favorite movie in the last uh, month or so. Uh, I'm telling everybody I know to go to go out to a theater and see it. Uh, you guys' thoughts? I really like that movie, too. And I, mm -hmm. I, it seems like that's most you know, well-positioned to win the uh, International Feature Oscar um, this year. So um... Got a screenwriting thing, too, just for everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was uh, surprised by both of those, to be honest, because I really liked right? it, but I didn't realize it had that much support. I, I guess I just was taken aback by that, but I enjoyed I it very much, but it's, it'll it'll hit you, I think. I thought of you, Jen, because uh, one time on this show, you were talking about coming of age stories and mm -hmm. you mentioned Lady Bird, but this is uh, right in there with it. Well, it's delayed coming of age, I would say. Yeah, well, <laughs> coming of age takes longer than it used to, <laughs> unless you're <That's> my <laughs> age. <laughs> there is sort of like a self-aware quality to it that reminded me of Fleabag a little bit, but I do think it's, it is 
Yes, it is. I mean, I sort of wonder if there's a term for coming of age that is more just like about your 20s and 30s <laughs> rather than your teen years, because there is sort of this element to the film that I was like, oh yeah, like I sort of recognize this. How do I figure things out and where do I even begin? And what is that sort of like malaise of adulthood? And I'm not sure that we have a term for that. I don't know. If yeah. We do. mm, well, personal uh, growth. Maybe. Ooh. Yeah. Well, let's work on that. And while we're growing personally, <laughs> let's see how Lou Katz is doing in the control room. <laughs> the president and CEO right. of Hound Radio, Hound Internet Radio. We have a special feature we run every Sunday night. And if you're into music, check this out. According to the Webster Dictionary, the definition of the word stiff, when used as a noun, is a flop or failure. So Hound Radio, lover of floppy ears and all kinds of music, invites you to enjoy an hour of musical flops and failures. Hey, it's Lou. Thanks to Lisa over in Falls Church, one of our Hound listeners. She has sent in a classic stiff, came in number 58 in 1972 on the Billboard charts. We call it Sunday Night Stiffs. Each weekend for an hour, Hound Radio will play nothing but lost songs that never became hits. Some are singles, some are album tracks, but they all have one thing in common. They're stiffs. Got one you want to hear? Send it to Lou at HoundRadio.com. There's only one internet radio station that's bold enough or dumb enough to do this. It's Sunday Night Stiffs, every weekend from 9 till 10 on Hound Radio. So uh, what should we recommend for the weekend? Mm. Uh, I'm going to recommend Better Things, which uh, the last season, the fifth and final season of Better Things starts on Monday. This is an FX series um, written, directed, and starring uh, Pamela Adlon as a single mom, essentially, um, raising three girls dealing with her aging mother and also trying to continue acting. It's very autobiographical based on her own life. And it's just such a beautiful, generous show that I feel like more people should be watching. So if you're trying to catch up as the last season is unfolding, you can watch from the very beginning on, on Hulu. Mom, are you really out of breath? <sighs> you look ridiculous. You need to get in shape. I mean, imagine if you did this every single day, you might actually have a chance of living past 60. No phones in the house for one week. We have a landline. Okay, boomer. For the last time, I am not a boomer. I am Generation X. It's just such a smart, you know, we, we complain so much when, um, and just like that came out and it, and it painted this like unrealistic portrait and kind of, uh -huh sad portrait uh, in some ways of what it means to be a woman in your 50s. And this is the opposite of that. It's realistic, but it's also hopeful. And it suggests that you can be curious and still growing as a human being when you're in your mid 50s. So better things. That's my recommendation. Cool. Cool. Um, I am going to recommend a new series on NBC. It premiered this past Monday in the 10 p.m. time slot. And it's called The End Game. Have I got your attention? Arms trafficker, keen military strategist. She runs an international organization of soldiers for hire, loyal to no country. Miss Fedorova, you were brought here to discuss 105 criminal charges against you. <laughs> I can't wait. And it is basically just a copy of The Blacklist. <laughs> which also airs on NBC. And this is also a show about a sort of like renegade mastermind criminal and an FBI agent and how they sort of are an unlikely team 
Um, and a lot of it is like very formulaic and just very of that like broadcast TV sort of crime thriller series. But it stars Marina Baccarin, who is a TV vet. And I feel like if you've seen her face, you're like, oh, I've seen her on XYZ. And she is just like really reveling, I think, in the opportunity to play this master criminal. And she's having so much fun. And the series really comes to life around her sort of smirking sarcasm and elitism. And I just have really enjoyed her work. And it co-stars Costa Ronan who was on Homeland and the Americans and is also just one of those character actors that when he pops up in TV, it's like, I'm so happy that you're here in this series that I'm watching. So I really recommend that. It is probably a pretty good watch while you're folding your laundry show. Um, I'm always on the lookout for those. So that's my recommendation. Well, I'm into severance. Thanks to both of you and thanks to your review, Rocky. And, uh, and I can't, I guess uh, it comes back to Apple on Friday nights. Yeah. Mm -hmm. good well okay i think i can make it till friday night and the worst person in the world and uh if that's not around i've been re-watching nightmare alley on (laughs) hbo max because i love the design of i love Mm -hmm. the way it looks Mm -hmm. and i love the scenes with kate blanchett and i love her office (laughs) and i want her (laughs) options yeah production design wise which again the academy has deemed not important enough to be on their show, um, is beautiful in that film. It yeah. really is. So so what are you all working on on uh, Vulture? Um, we are endlessly working on Euphoria, the HBO series. <laughs> uh, you know, about teens doing wild and crazy things. The finale of that is this upcoming Sunday, February 27th. And um, I don't know, we're, you know, hitting, hitting the court. trying to write as much as we can about that jen wrote a really great piece in the mid-season sort of about like the arc of the season and where it's going um because there has been some sort of commentary on like the pacing and how it's been and jen had a great essay about that so we're sort of diving into that and also i think just trying to figure out as you said arch there's so much tv I think we're just trying to figure out like what else is interesting enough to cover for this spring. I'm very excited about the return of Law and Order. Um, really? Yes. Yeah, so Sam I, Waterston yeah, needs the work. I love him and I'm fine <laughs> with that. Um, but yeah, but that's what I have going on. Jen, what about you? What are we working on? Uh, what am I doing? Um, <clears throat> I have a couple of reviews that I'm working on. One of Better Things and one of this other show called Super Pumped which I am not super pumped about. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, I have a couple of interviews, some longer form things that I'm kind of working on. But like Rocky said, just trying to trying to keep up. Uh, you're the euphoria expert at Vulture, Jen? No, absolutely not. I'm yes. No, people. Jen is. Jen's being humble. She's very but good. I, you know, I sampled <laughs> some of the uh, pilot of that. And uh, when you recommend it to people, <laughs> what do you say? I haven't been shocked in a long time, but my, I was, it's, it's a lot. Hmm. It is. It is. I mean. And I'm sure that it's absolutely real. Mm -hmm. Well, I I think that Sam Levinson, who created the show and directed this whole second season, uh, I feel like he's created this world where it's, it's, I think it's based on somewhat on his real life because he, he had a drug addiction problem when he was younger. Mm. But mm. It, there's also an element of fantasy, like, you know, he, he does things like having characters talk directly to camera or having mm. these like musical um, 
interludes and things like that. So you, you sort of feel like you're watching something very real, but at the same time, not. And that's, that's as the mother of a teenager, the, the, the way that I'm able to like divorce myself from it on some level and not think it's super real. Um, but it's, it's very, I mean, it really is very well directed. It's very ambitious, audacious. And then day is okay, getting- I have, I have one last question that you've yeah. raised and then, you know, we're running short on time, but have you been watching Euphoria and had your son walk into the room? And if so, what happened? Uh, he has not walked into the room. He is a big fan of, of Zendaya, but he has not watched it. And that's probably for the best. Oh, well. <laughs> I, I don't. It's one of those shows that I don't think it's for teenagers. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think teenagers are actually watching it. it well, according like, to my son, they don't watch television. So, yeah, you know. I, to oh, be frank. Yeah. Well. So I think it's one of those things where it, it sort of reminds me of like the Brett Easton Ellis novels of the 80s where yes they are very shocking and they're pushing the boundaries but there's a certain audience for them and a lot of the shock value i think just comes from us i don't think well, it's for the people it's starring on that note i just hope they listen to podcasts <laughs> <laughs> rocky Hadadi, and jen cheney thank you so much for being here lou katz podcast master at pound radio we're taking off next week we're going to spring break. <laughs> Fully clothed. <laughs> we will see you in two weeks. This is the Cats Podcasting System, where it's not just a podcast, but a pod cats. <laughs>